And let's open our Bibles together to Psalm 148. Psalm 148. We're continuing in our series on the Hallelujah Psalms, the last five Psalms, 146 through 150. And this morning we come to Psalm 148, which is sort of a call to worship for all creation. The first part is about the praise of the Lord that comes from the heavens. And the second part is about the praise of the Lord that comes from the earth. Or at least the praise of the Lord that should come from the earth. It does come. Except there's one problem. Us. People. Mankind. We should praise the Lord, but we don't praise the Lord. One author wrote this, all of nature sings God's glory. We alone are out of tune. Do you ever feel out of tune to praise God? You might have even felt that this morning. The quote continues, the question is this, how can we be brought back into the great music? That's a good question and The answer is in this psalm, and we're gonna look at it together, and I trust that God will use this psalm to tune our hearts to sing his grace. Let's pray that he would do that, and then we'll begin. Let's pray. Our God, we acknowledge that our hearts so easily go out of tune when it comes to praising you. All of creation praises you by nature, but by our nature, our sinful nature, we don't. We worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. And we don't want that to be the case. And we thank you for giving us new hearts as believers, but we know that we are still prone to wander. So would you help us use this psalm to tune our hearts? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 148, this is God's word. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him all his angels. Praise him all his hosts. Praise him sun and moon. Praise him all you shining stars. Praise him you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded, and they were created. And he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree, and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all deeps. Fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word. Mountains and all hills fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people, praise for all his saints. 
for the people of Israel who are near to him. Praise the Lord. As you can see in your sermon notes there, we'll look at the two main parts of the psalm in turn. Praise from the heavens in verses 1 through 6 and praise from the earth in verses 7 through 14. And in the first section on praise from the heavens, there's a who, a where, and a why that we'll consider. Where, who, and why. In terms of the where, we read in verse 1, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. So where should this praise come from that the psalmist is calling for? Where should it sound forth from? Well, it should sound forth from the heavens. That is, from the realm of the heavens as distinct from the realm of the earth, which we'll get into again in verse seven. The realm of the heavens includes three things what we would call the sky or the atmosphere, then what we would call outer space, and then heaven itself, the dwelling place of God. The psalmist wants the praise of God to sound forth from all three, from the realm of the heavens. And it says, praise him in the heights or in the highest, as I mentioned earlier. This is what the crowds called out when Jesus entered Jerusalem. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. In other words, let everything in the realm of the heavens praise the Lord. That's the where element. What about the who element? He's gonna focus on the angels of heaven and then the stars of heaven. Regarding the angels of heaven, he says in verse two there, praise him, all his angels, praise him, all his hosts. Hosts would be like armies of angels. This is what the angels did in the opening words of Isaiah six. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, seraphim are angels. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. It's the angels praising the Lord. This is also what the angels did in Luke 2 that I mentioned earlier when the birth of our Savior was announced to the shepherds and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Ultimately the angels praise Christ himself Hebrews 1.6, let all God's angels worship him. How glorious and praiseworthy God is that such amazing beings as the angels praise him. Angels are so amazing that in the Bible when they appear to people, the people are sometimes tempted to worship them. 
But how much more praiseworthy is God if the beings we might be tempted to worship, those beings themselves fall down and worship God? You know, I had to look this up on the internet this week, but did you know that you could fit a little over a million Earths inside the sun? Pretty amazing how, how massive the sun must be. You could fit a million earths inside the sun. But did you also know that you could fit a little over a million suns inside a supergiant star like Betelgeuse? So if the sun is massive, how much more massive is a supergiant star? In much the same way, if the angels are so amazing that we might be tempted to worship them if we saw them, how much more amazing is God since the angels themselves worship God? So the angels of heaven praise God. Also the stars of heaven praise God. Look at verse three. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. The waters above the heavens is either a reference to the clouds, the rain clouds above the lower part of the sky or perhaps to the pre-flood waters mentioned in Genesis 1, 7 and 8. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so, and God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. The sun and the moon and all the shining stars are called upon to praise God like we sing together, we just sang together. Thou burning sun with golden beam, thou silver moon with softer gleam, oh praise him. Thou rising morn and praise rejoice, ye lights of evening find a voice, oh praise him, oh praise him, alleluia. These lights praise the father of lights and of course we want to do the same. This is the music of the spheres that we want to listen to and then add our voices to. The heavens do this clearly and continually. We should also do it clearly and continually. So the where is from the heavens. The who is the angels of heaven and the stars of heaven. How about the why? Why should the inhabitants of the realm of heaven praise the Lord? Verse five tells us. Let them praise the name of the Lord for he commanded and they were created and he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. Why should they praise the Lord? Why should the inhabitants of heaven praise the Lord? Because God made them. Because God created them. Psalm 33, six through nine says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and by the breath of his mouth, all their host He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. 
In Psalm 119, there's a few verses that speak to this, verses 89 through 91. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. By your appointment, they stand this day for all things are your servants. He commanded and they were created. If God commanded and the heavens were created, if his command was that powerful and that authoritative, shouldn't you and I submit to and obey the authoritative commands he gives us in his word in the Bible? I think we would be less inclined to disregard God's commands in the moment of temptation if we remembered that the sheer power and authority of his commands were such that he commanded the heavens they were created. So when he commands us, let us respond in humble obedience by his enabling grace. Two more thoughts here by way of application under this first point about praise from the heavens. First of all, I would encourage you to let these verses expand and stretch your view of God. Let these verses expand and stretch your view of God. Like a balloon gets bigger the more air you breathe into it. Right, kids? If you have a balloon, you blow air into it and it expands, it gets bigger. Let your view of God get bigger. Let it expand and stretch in response to these verses. How vast is the heavens? How amazing are the angels? How huge is the sun? And yet all these things are mere creatures that praise their creator. God is bigger. God is greater. God is worthy of praise from the heavens. We want to have what some have called a big God theology. A big God theology. We want our view of God, our theology, to always be expanding and stretching like a balloon as our minds are filled more and more with the truth of his word. Sometimes people are big and God is small in our view. Sometimes the world dazzles and sparkles. God seems to be dull and drab. Sometimes the temptation to sin seems like an irresistible power. But God is not small. He is big. He is big and people are small. God is not boring. He's amazing. He is more beautiful, more satisfying than the world. And his word is powerful, more powerful than any temptation you or I will ever face. We want to have a big God theology. We want to apply that theology to how we live our daily lives. God is worthy of praise from the heavens and from all the inhabitants of the heavens. And we should let that reality expand and stretch our view of our God. Secondly, don't worship and serve the creature Worship and serve the creator. Ever since the fall of man into sin in the Garden of Eden, people have aimed too low 
when it comes to their worship and praise and devotion. Fallen human beings have worshiped the heavens. They have worshiped the angels. They have worshiped the sun and the moon and the stars. And in countless other ways, they have worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, and and we are one of them. But all those creatures themselves worship the creator. The sun, moon, and the stars, they are not our gods. They are our fellow worshipers. The things that have been made point beyond themselves to their maker, whose eternal power and divine nature are clearly perceived in them and by them. So don't praise these creatures. Join these creatures in praising the creator. Don't aim too low when it comes to your worship and praise and devotion. Aim high. Now the creator has given us creatures to enjoy but just not to worship. He richly provides us with everything to enjoy, 1 Timothy 6, 17 says, but he alone is worthy of our worship. So when you perhaps open a gift tomorrow on Christmas morning, that gift comes ultimately from God, the giver of all good gifts. But he doesn't give us idols to worship. He gives us gifts to enjoy. So seek to enjoy the creature, but worship and serve the creator. Enjoy the gift, but worship the giver. So God is worthy of praise from the heavens. We see that clearly in verses one through six, but he's also worthy of praise from the earth. Let's look at that now under our second main point. The sound of praise carries from heaven to earth, clearly, but it should also echo back from earth to heaven. Psalm 69, 34 says, let heaven and earth praise him. Just like we did under the first main point, we'll look at the where, the who, and the why here. In terms of the where, it's from the earth. Praise should sound forth not just from the heavens, but also from the earth and from all the inhabitants of the earth, from all who live on this terrestrial ball, to him all majesty ascribe and crown him Lord of all as we sing. In terms of the who, who should praise the Lord from the earth, he mentions first the sea creatures at the end of verse seven there. You great sea creatures and all deeps, So great white sharks and humpback whales and giant squid and deep sea anglerfish way below the surface that have that light that dangles out in front of them. They all praise the Lord. They praise the Lord simply by their existence and by doing all kinds of amazing things that God made them with the ability to do. Then he mentions different kinds of weather in verse eight. Fire, which in context is lightning, and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind, fulfilling his word. 
So even if the weather for the day is not what we would have chosen, the weather for the day is what God has chosen and brings glory to God, praises God. Then in verse nine, he mentions some geography terms, some geo terms, mountains and all hills. You can decide which you think we have in this area. Fruit trees and all cedars. So from Mount Everest to Ski Roundtop, from Paulus Orchard to the cedars of Lebanon that we read about, they all praise their maker. Isaiah 55, 12 says, for you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Then in verse 10, he brings in the animals. Beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, coyotes and cows, sparrows and yes, even spiders. All creatures of our God and King, even the critters, they all praise the Lord. But what about us? What about mankind? We're certainly on the list of those who should praise the Lord. Verse 11, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. But we don't praise the Lord. All of nature sings God's glory. We alone are out of tune. A quote I mentioned at the beginning. The heavens praise him. The earth praises him. All of heaven and earth praises him, except for one group, mankind, sinful mankind. We are out of tune because of our sin, because of our rebellion against God, our rebellion against our maker. Our hearts are out of tune. By nature, we don't praise our maker, we forsake our maker. By nature, we don't worship and serve the creator, we worship and serve the creature. By nature, we are not devoted to God, we are devoted to ourselves. All of nature sings God's glory, we alone are out of tune. The question is this, how can we be brought back into the great music? Well, the answer is mentioned in the last part of the psalm, the part about why we should praise God. Look at verse 13. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people, praise for all his saints, for the people of Israel who are near to him. Praise the Lord. Kids, you know what a horn is, right? Like a, a, a big horn on a rhinoceros, the end of his nose. A horn isn't something soft, right? It's something hard. It's not something that's weak, it's something that's strong. It's not something that is 
small ordinarily, something that is big. When it talks here about God raising up a horn for his people, he's talking about providing a strong savior for us, his own son, Jesus Christ. God did not raise up a feather for his people. He raised up a horn for his people. Luke chapter one, verses 68 and 69, referring to the birth of our Savior. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. Jesus is the horn of salvation, the strong Savior who saves all who repent of sin and believe in him. And God is worthy of our praise for raising up a horn of salvation for us. And it is because he has done that that we are able to praise him. For he has changed our hearts. He has tuned them to sing his grace. Well, how should we respond to all this? Let me mention three ways as we draw to a close this morning. First, we should remember that praise of our creator and our redeemer is what unites us as a church. Praise of our creator and redeemer is what unites us as a church. Look again at verse 11 with that in mind. Kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. God saves all kinds of people and brings them together in local churches. Young men and maidens, old men and children, and everyone in between. And we all worship God together for his works of creation and redemption. So what unites us is not our age and stage in life, as meaningful as those connections can be. What unites us is not the kind of job we have or the kind of clothes we wear or the kind of car we drive. What unites us is not ethnicity or politics. What unites us is the praise of the one who made us and the one who has redeemed us. Commentator Derek Kidner said about this verse that the only potential bond between the extremes of mankind is joyful preoccupation with God. That's the glue that holds us together as a body of believers. Joyful preoccupation with God. That's what we want to be about in this church. Revelation chapter seven, verses nine and 10 says, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. 
Praise of our creator and our redeemer is what unites us as a church. Other things have the potential to divide us, to be sure. But what unites us is always stronger. Secondly, we should rejoice in the fact that Christ has brought us near to God. We should rejoice in the fact that Christ has brought us near to God. Verse 14, he has raised up a horn for his people, praise for all his saints, for the people of Israel who are near to him. Christ has brought us near to God. 1 Peter 3, 18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Deuteronomy 4, 7, for what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? Or as the psalmist says in 73, verses 27 and 28, for behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. There's nothing worse than being far from God. And there's nothing better than being near to him. If you enjoy spending time with someone, you want to be with them, you want to be near them. You don't like when you have to say goodbye, you don't like being apart. Well, there's no one better than God. And we don't ever have to say bye to him. We look forward to being with him forever because of Jesus. Revelation 21, three, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Third and finally, recognize that God alone can bring your heart back into tune. God alone can bring your heart back in tune to praise him. God alone can tune your heart to sing his grace. All of nature sings God's glory. We alone are out of tune. The question is this, how can we be brought back into the great music? Well, it's only by the power and grace of God in the gospel that we can be brought back into the great music. And that is precisely what God has done for us through his son. He has tuned our hearts and brought us back into the great music of all of creation. Our hearts have been changed. Our hearts have been tuned so that we can join the chorus of all creation in praising the Lord. And sometimes, even though we've been tuned, like a guitar or a piano, we might go out of tune and need to be retuned. God is gracious to do that for us when we turn to him in faith. And he uses his word to do that, like this psalm that we've been looking at. He uses creation and the beauty and majesty of creation to stir our hearts. He uses all the means of grace in public worship, 
is why it's so important to put ourselves under them. He uses all of his appointed means to steer our hearts toward him. So wherever you are this morning, wherever you stand in relation to God, to your maker, turn to him in faith and ask him to work in your heart. Perhaps for the first time, Ask him to enable you to turn from your sin and to trust in the Savior. Or perhaps not for the first time. Ask him to work in your heart because he is gracious and faithful to help us. Ask him to tune your heart to sing his grace. Only he can do that. So that you can add your voice to the chorus of all creation in praising the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, you are worthy of our praise and worthy of the praise of all of creation. Help us not to be the only ones who remain silent, but instead may we praise you, truly praise you with our lips and with our lives which is what you've made us to do and redeemed us to do. But we need you to tune our hearts so we can do that. So please do that in us by your grace. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's take a minute to think and pray about what we've heard and then we'll sing praise to our God together.